Hey Spring Creek, Pastor Keith here. I'm a little far from home, about 2,500 miles south of Dallas on the equator, but high in the Andean Mountains in the capital city of Quito, Ecuador. Uh, it's kind of cool this morning, it's only 51 degrees. I know somebody's got to do it right and I, I'm willing to do it. Uh, but I was here, I'm, I'm here because I was invited by World Vision Ecuador to be a part of their 40 year celebration of being in this amazing country. I think, you know, besides just it being a wonderful day of celebration, uh, I think the thing that probably touched my heart the most uh, was as I heard the name of Spring Creek Church mentioned again and again and again in all kinds of conversations. Uh, people are so grateful for you, church. They're grateful for how you've given to help the youth of La Violeta. You're making a real difference there. But they know more about Spring Creek than just our generosity. They know that because of who we are and how we approach mission, that we're literally changing the way church does mission, not just at home, but around the world. So you're a great example. I love you, church. I wish I was there with you right now. I'll be back next weekend. I hope this is a great service. I know Josh is going to have a wonderful message for us all. God bless you. I'll see you soon. Amen. Yeah, we can clap for that. Good morning and welcome. If you're watching on Facebook, I don't know if you got to see the video. Pastor Keith is in Ecuador right now, suffering high on a mountain and it's 51 degrees. <laughs> and uh, if you want to see what he sees, go to his Instagram. He posted a whole album of beautiful photos of the countryside yesterday that we can enjoy from here. Ecuador is one of our mission partners, and we do want to celebrate the 40 years of work World Vision has had there. And we continue to give to our mission partners in Ecuador at La Violeta through World Vision. And that's, that's our hope that we as a church would be marked by our generosity continuously. So we gave them a big gift a couple years ago, and then last year, and then this year we want to give them another big gift. But we always want to be giving them mission money, mission efforts, mission support, because their mission is critical down there as well. We also have a mission opportunity right here in our neighborhood. We have partnered with an elementary school right over here, Etheridge Elementary. Uh, we, I, I contacted Garland ISD and said, how can we help? And they said, we need, we need a lot of stuff. So I said, how can we help more specifically? And they said, you're really close to Etheridge, but you're also named like Spring Creek Elementary, so it's a toss-up. So we called Etheridge and said, hey, we want to do a school supply drive. We'll get all the pens and notebook paper you guys could ever want. And she said, oh, um, okay. And I said, but, but what do you need? And she said, well, we have a lot of kids that wear the same uniform shirt every day of the week. Oh. So maybe you don't need pens. Should we add uniforms to the list? And she said, well, we've, we've got school supplies. Could you get us some uniforms? And I said, we will. Uh, and so we need to. You guys, we, <laughs> we just started this week. You'll see the bin out there. If you're watching online, you can, you can give toward local missions and all of the money toward local missions this summer. All of your gifts, if you drop off school, supply, or school uniforms, we have red, white, or navy polos in all of the kids' sizes khaki pants, and brand new underwear and socks for these kids to wear. We're, we're going to be giving the money that we made to purchase those supplies, but also we'd love it if you would, as you're out at Walmart or wherever and you're getting those uniforms for your kids or passing by them, grab an extra one in any one of the kids' sizes and we can really blow them away to stock their school uniform closet. So that's an opportunity we have ahead of us. We're also wrapping up a sermon series this morning. We've been looking at Ghost for the last three weeks, and this is week four, where we've been examining the Holy Spirit, the often 
unaddressed, taboo subject of this thing that we can't see, but we believe in, but is very real. And he's like the forgotten aspect of the triune God that we believe in. But we've been able to dive in and, and see that the spirit is very real and alive. And, and we're kind of redeeming some of those thoughts that we have on the spirit. Like in order to be spirit-filled, you have to behave a certain way in, in your prayer language, or you have to worship a certain way. We, we try to re-justify what, what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. And so we are going to wrap that up this morning by talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So I wore my pineapple shirt for you guys because <laughs> I wanted to. Um, ironed it and everything. Uh, but pineapple is not one of the fruit of the Spirit, obviously, as you guys know. If you didn't know, um, we're going to go over the fruit of the Spirit so you can know which fruit are in the fruit of the Spirit and which ones are not like pineapple. The first week we talked about what it means to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We receive empowerment by receiving the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. When we believe in him, we receive the Spirit who begins to work and act in us and through us. The second week we talked about being Spirit-filled. We are filled with the Spirit. We've received the Spirit, and so he fills us up to do good works. We are gifted. Last week we talked about being gifted. We all have spiritual gifts. All of us have some of them, none of us have all of them, but we all have spiritual gifts. And Keith did a great job of pointing out that we all have these gifts and none of them is a crutch. The absence of one isn't a crutch. We have gifts, but we have opportunity to perform all of these gifts, whether we have them or not. And so some of us are more bent toward the gift of helps, but that doesn't mean those of us that don't naturally help shouldn't help. Some of us are more bent toward the gift of teaching, but that doesn't mean that you might not be called upon to teach because the Spirit equips as he needs and as he sees fit. We all have some gifts and we should use those, but just because we don't have a gift doesn't mean we can't participate in that opportunity because the Spirit gives us what we need when we need it. And today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is kind of like the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, except for some of us, all of us have some of the spiritual gifts, but all of us have all of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something we all get when we become Christians. We just don't realize it because a lot of us, like me, are not very good at realizing what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So we're going to dive in, and we're going to spend all our time in Galatians 5. If you get your Bible out and want to read along with us, I'll have it on the screen. But I want to tell you about something that happened just a little bit ago when I turned 25. <laughs> just a little bit ago. When I turned 25, this, the, the, the part of my sermon that was not funny. <laughs> it was upwards of one plus years ago. And I turned 25, and, and everyone tells you, you know, like after college, everything's downhill from there. And uh, once you turn 30, your weight starts to settle a little bit heavier. But when I turned 25, my car insurance rate went down. And my body began to realize that what I was putting in wasn't, wasn't always good. It was just, it was rough. My body learned that, hey, when you eat all of that cheese, I'm hurting. And so my body tell me, you're, you're, you stop, please stop giving me cheese, okay? I know there's chips and there's a bowl of cheese, but just lay off. And back then, one plus years ago, there was a big Groupon special at every Brazilian steakhouse in the Metroplex. And so I'd get the Groupon, go to the Brazilian steakhouse. And if you haven't been, they walk around with these swords of meat and they just start giving you meat. And then when you run out, you raise the flag, they bring you more. It's awesome. And my body just started learning what's called the meat sweats. When you, <laughs> you just eat 
so much meat and then your body doesn't know how to process it. And so you get real sluggish and you're just perspiring because you don't know what you're doing to your body. And then I would, I would get these headaches after eating too much sugar. And if you're like me, I like to pair my dairy with sugar called ice cream. And <laughs> it would just, it would hurt, but it would be so good at the same time. Like, yes, I would love more, more lamb. Yes, please refill the queso, Mr. Chili's. I'd love more. Or, yeah, Bluebell came out with new flavors every six months. I have to try them all. And I was putting into my body and knowing, like, I'm going to have a headache later, but cookie two-step. So good. <laughs> and this, this might affect me when my metabolism slows down, but it's not going to slow down anytime soon. But it did, like, almost immediately. And I learned what we, what we put into our bodies, what, what our external influences are, impacts our internal feelings. The forces around us affect how we feel, how we think, how we act, how we interact. And that's kind of a big deal. But I think even more so as we pivot to look at the Holy Spirit working in our lives, what's happening in our body has a greater impact on the external forces around us. Not whether you eat cheese or not, not whether you eat meat or not, but what, what is in our bodies, what we're consuming, how we're valuing what we consume, whether it's food, water, material, culture, media, whatever it is, what we're consuming is affecting us internally, but we need to rely on that internal source that we have to affect our external. So, I don't want to talk about food too much because I know we're right between breakfast and lunch and you guys are going to get cranky here soon. <laughs> but on Thursday, something cool happened. It became summertime, so we started sweating on Thursday, <laughs> and we'll stop sweating in October, because it's summertime, and in Texas, it gets hot, it gets humid, and we just love to be outside, because the weather's so nice, and, and we want to grill, and we want to go watch fireworks, and we want to go to ball games, and we want to do all these things. One of the things in my household that we love about summer is that we spent all the spring planting seeds in our garden, and now they're bearing fruit. We're seeing vegetables grow and tomatoes grow, and it's a lot of fun. A couple years ago, when I was actually closer to 25, my mother-in-law wanted to plant a, a pumpkin patch. So we had this big 6 by 18 plot, and we went out and we bought some pumpkin seeds. And if, if you plant pumpkin seeds the way that it says on the packet, you space them, you, you pile them, you, and then you water them, and then over time they grow into pumpkins. It was going to be perfect. We planted them about mid to late June, late, early July, and that way by Halloween you have these full mature pumpkins. So we planted the seeds. And then, you know, a week goes by and we're starting to see these little green stems poke out. It was awesome. And then a couple more weeks and we have these big leafy vines growing, and they start to bloom flowers, and we know we're going to see pumpkins soon. And so we'd get these little bulbs that were little round. It's like, okay, it looks like it's going to be a pumpkin. It's round. Pumpkins are round. This is great. And they grew, and they grew. And the more they grew, the more we realized we planted cantaloupes. <laughs> and they looked exactly like that. And we were all excited. It's mid-July, like, oh my gosh, we're growing pumpkins so fast. I can't even wait. There's going to be pie. We're going to carve them. There's going to be jack-o'-lanterns. It's going to be awesome. And then we realized that somewhere between the person putting the seeds in the packet and the packet themselves, someone grabbed a pumpkin packet and put the cantaloupe seeds in. <laughs> and we had so much cantaloupe that summer. It was awesome. It was not what we wanted, but it was awesome. And that goes to show that you can't just change the label on a packet of seeds and all of a sudden the seeds become something different. 
And if you think of the way we change our label when we receive the seed of the Holy Spirit, we, we kind of treat it like that. We just, we're living our life, and all of a sudden someone says, you should become a Christian. And for some reason we're like, yeah, sure, Jesus is Lord, Savior, I submit, he's my Lord, great. And we just keep living our life the same way we were living our life. And I have to question, did you know what you were saying when you said that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior? Because you walked along, you're a cantaloupe seed, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm a pumpkin now, this will be great. And then you turn out to be a cantaloupe. And you look back and you think, why am I a cantaloupe? I changed the label. I'm good, right? And that's not how faith works. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Because when we receive Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, when we claim that label of Christian and we change the label, the seed changes as well. We change completely. We go from, from death into life. We go from darkness into light. We go from deep into sin, addicted, bound to free. And that's what Paul is dealing with when he's writing the book of Galatians. He's got a group of people who were living one way, and then he went and he planted a church with them, and he told them about what Jesus did and who Jesus is and what's available to them. And they said, yeah, I want that. But then when he left, they kind of went back to living the way they wanted to live and doing the things they wanted to do. And so Paul gets wind, and he said, that's, that's not, not how it goes. So let me tell you a little bit about how it goes. And so he starts chapter 5 and he says, it's for freedom that you've been set free. You guys can do what you want to do because Christ gives us freedom. And it's in that freedom that we want to live, but you're not using your freedom wisely. You're using it to fight each other, to pursue sin, to choose disobedience. So we're going to pick up in chapter 5, verse 13. Paul writes, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You've been called to freedom. And in this freedom, we should serve. We should love. This is what Jesus gives us. But the people there, they were choosing to pick on each other. And to continue to rate themselves higher than the other people. And it was this bidding war for the top. And they'd fight and they'd devour. And there was so much divisiveness. And Paul said, that's not, that's not what Jesus has for you. That's not the work available in your life. And he chooses to use words that apply to them and their culture. He chooses to say, if you bite and devour one another. Because it was a very visible picture for them to think not like cannibalistic thinking, but to think if I'm going to bite at this person, if my words are biting, if my actions are biting toward this person, we're going to devour each other and there's going to be no positive end to the means we're pursuing. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, watch out that you're not consumed by one another because the way they were treating each other was going to consume them each with selfishness, with independence, and then it's going to devour them completely. And then before we jump into this next part, Paul demonstrates his awareness of the culture that they're in. This Hellenistic society. Where there's these virtues that we need to model. These virtues we need to achieve. These character qualities where this is who we are. We're noble. We pursue honor. We're, we're high moral value people. And so he, he wants to give them a list of virtues. And then there's these vices that people would say, don't do these things. And the vices were common amoral things like uh, drunkenness, sexual impurity, 
uh, not paying a debt, all these vices that we can get caught up in. And so Paul is trying to be very specific with these people to say, hey, I see you, I know you, and I understand what you're going through. And it kind of makes me think if, if Paul were to look at us today, would he even be able to relate? Because we're not selfish. We're not independent. We're not divisive. We're not pursuing these vices like drunkenness or sexual purity or sensuality or pride. That's not us. Would Paul get us? So I have to think if Paul was going to use language to speak to us, instead of saying, stop being mean to each other, don't bite or devour, he'd probably say, y'all have been getting salty by throwing shade <laughs> at one another. And if he said that, would it mean more to us? If we're like, oh, we have been pretty salty. And for those of us north of 35, it means mean. <laughs> and throwing shade means like picking on someone. So Paul says, quit acting savage and be an extra. <laughs> if he says it like that, do we hear it the same? Because it means the same. To quit being extra. Let's keep it 100. <laughs> and if we low-key turn up for our neighbors, everything should be Gucci. <laughs> and does that mean anything to anyone? <laughs> if we just change the language, it means the exact same thing. But deep down, our desire is not to keep everything Gucci. Deep down, our desire is to serve the Lord. If you're a Christian, we want to bring God glory in our life. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to know that there's an opportunity for you to have more than what's available to you right now. There's an opportunity for freedom to where you don't have to wallow in shame and pity and regret. You don't have to sit blindly hoping there might be hope around the corner when there's hope right in front of you through Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul changes gears in verse 16 where we're going to step up. And he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Paul is saying that what's inside of us is going to influence our outside a whole lot more. The fruit of the Spirit inside of you has an external impact. The works of your flesh inside of you are going to impact your external circumstances. And I want us to look at these two words that Paul chooses to use. He says, the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. I studied English in college and I learned what a metaphor was. I learned that before college, but they reminded me in college what a metaphor was and, and how a metaphor keeps its shape 
It's a description where if you're using a, a type of description to describe something else, you keep that same shape. So Paul's using a metaphor such as fruit, but then he poses it against works. Fruit is botanical. It grows. It's, it's of nature. We see it, but works is not. He should have said the weeds of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit. But Paul is very specific in saying the works of the flesh because works are things that we do. Weeds are uncontrollable. Weeds grow. We live in Texas. We know weeds grow. We spray, we kill them, we pluck them, and then they grow. Weeds are uncontrollable. But that's not what Paul is saying is available to us. He's saying the works of the flesh, the things that we do are the things that we do. We work. Work is something I do within my power I'm capable of. I choose to step into the works of the flesh. Works are dependent on you. Works are the vices that he was telling them about. And they understood, like, oh, those are all vices. I should avoid those so I could be an honorable human being. But works are within our control. And when something's in our control, it's often not of God. Because the works of our flesh are choices of selfishness and independence that don't rely on God at all. The works of our flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like he ran out of space, so he just had to put things like these to describe all the things that we do that are of our flesh and not of the spirit living inside us. So Paul chose the word works specifically. Because if he said the weeds of the flesh, we'd say, well, I've got a weed problem. And I can't control it. It's just going to keep growing. When really a works problem is controllable. It may not feel like it. But it's controllable. For us to make a decision to do something is equally as powerful for us to make a decision to not do something. Like, I choose to go to work. Well, what if you chose to not go to work? I choose to engage in sexual immorality. What if you chose not to? I choose to pursue impurity or sensuality. I'm choosing to put an idol up on the throne of my life. I'm choosing to feel enmity or strive towards someone or cause divisions amongst people. Those are works of my flesh that I do. The things we do are the things we do. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says, the fruit is dependent on the Spirit moving. So these are the things that we cannot do apart from the Spirit moving in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. Those are not things you do. Those are the things that the Spirit does. So the fruit of the Spirit are the things the Spirit does in us and through us and for us. And those are uncontrollable because we cannot control them. I, I read this beautiful description in a commentary on Galatians. He says, those who grow apples, oranges, and peaches know that however much they seek to protect their orchards from bad weather or deadly insects, at the end of the day, the product yielded by a fruit tree is a gift and not the result of human ingenuity or agricultural prowess. And if you garden, you know this. Like, yeah, I put the tomato plant in the ground. I'm going to get tomatoes. I'm going to fight away the bugs. I'm going to try and cover it from the rain so it doesn't get mildew. And then I'm going to have tomatoes, not because I work so hard at it. I tried to create an environment where it might happen, but ultimately it's beyond my control. 
And if you did plant tomatoes this year, you know that it's been beyond your control because we've gotten 12 feet of rain since April when you planted. And so our plants aren't bearing the fruit we want because we don't have enough agricultural prowess to control the fruit born. I don't have enough agricultural prowess to grab a bunch of cantaloupe seeds, put them in the ground, and call them pumpkins. That's beyond my control. I don't have enough personal prowess to say, I'm a patient person, and just repeat it to myself over and over and over again, and then get on 75 to try and merge on 635 going west. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm not a patient person. I don't have enough personal prowess to say I'm a peaceful person and then I walk home and my son's just yelling because we don't know why and my daughter's jumping off the walls going crazy. Oh, I'm not a peaceful person anymore because I'm not a patient person. And then the dominoes begin to fall. So the fruit of the spirit is dependent on the spirit. The works of the flesh are dependent on the flesh. So I have the power to do all of the works of the flesh. Those are all things I'm very capable of. I don't say it proudly, but it's the truth. The things that we do, the things that I do, are the things that I do. And if you've been dealing with the same thing over and over long enough, you're willing to say, well, it's not something I do. It's because of this person tempting me or because of that substance in my life or because this situation. And we become excuse finders and blame givers to everything else. Instead of just saying, the works of my flesh are the things that I do. It's not fair, but the deck's been stacked against us. Because all have fallen short and sinned. Because all were born into this curse. But the free gift of God, the grace available to us, allows us to enable the fruit of the Spirit inside of us. So why fruit? Paul chooses to use fruit of the Spirit instead of the result or the multiplication impact of the Spirit in our lives. He chooses fruit because there's a theme in Scripture consistently of botanical growth. You can see trees, you can see bushes, you can see vines and branches and seeds used to describe growth that happens. And Paul is making a very bold and real statement to us is that the fruit of the Spirit is a result of the growth the Spirit brings to your life. The fruit of the Spirit, the seed of the Spirit inside of you, grows not because of who you are, but because the Spirit grows it. And there are things we can do to nurture that growth. There are environments we can put ourselves in that nurture that growth. Just like you water plants so they might grow. Or you you put them in the right place so they get enough sun, but not too much sun. There are things we can do to nurture that seed of the Spirit inside of us. Maybe it's putting us in the right place. You're here this morning. And I want to wager that this is a good place for you to experience growth of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And just like there are places that we should be to nurture that growth, there are probably places that we should not be that hinder that growth. And there are also practices that we should not engage in that hinder that growth. There are practices that we should engage in that nurture that growth and allow that environment to protect the growth of the Spirit in our lives. And maybe that's time studying the Word. Maybe that's time in community with people who will sharpen you and hold you accountable. Maybe that's just humbling yourself and submitting yourself in prayer and using your times where you're typically impatient to seek God's guidance who will bring patience Because apart from him, apart from the Spirit, 
we will continue to pursue the flesh. And that's not what he wants for us. The fruit of the Spirit represents growth. But growth is gradual. I've got a time lapse of gradual growth for us. See if you can guess what fruit that is. I've given you context clues on my shirt. (laughs) But you can't just put a pineapple plant in the ground and then blink and see it. Boom, it grew. You have to follow it over time, over a period of months, and chop it down into individual clips, month after month, day after day, week after week, to see what growth even looks like. There are times when I'll go out to my garden and I'll move a leaf and like, oh my goodness, there's a zucchini. We can't, we can't watch growth happen. We can see the fruit of growth happen, but unless you have a time lapse of your life, you can't watch growth happen. Because growth is gradual and it's beyond our control. And so I want you to know that the fruit of the Spirit working in your life is gradually growing. So if you don't experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control the very day, the very moment you become a Christian, that's okay. You're definitely not alone. The fruit of the Spirit is a gradual growth of the Spirit growing in our lives and us nurturing that environment. Do we need to nurture it? No, but it definitely helps. The power of God is much greater when the Spirit is working in our lives, and we can nurture that and encourage that growth through accountability and discipleship. So growth is gradual, but also growth is inevitable. If we claim to be Christians and if we lean into the Spirit and rely on the Spirit in our lives, we're going to grow. Just like with some seeds, with some weeds, they grow beyond our choice, beyond our choosing. I've got a a picture of what happens in Texas a lot in the seams and the cracks in the concrete. Somebody didn't open up asphalt and put an acorn in the ground here. Nobody went and chipped away at the concrete and put a little weed there so it would grow. What happened is there was a seed underneath that in the dirt, an acorn from years ago, and someone came in and they laid a bunch of cement down. They drove a bunch of asphalt over the ground, and over time, that seed received the right nurture in some ways to where it began to penetrate the asphalt and break through the concrete. And we see it all the time. If you have foundation issues in your home, if you have a sidewalk in your neighborhood, you can walk by and see, like, who put that oak tree in the middle of that concrete? But it's a a beautiful picture of spiritual growth when we rely on the Spirit, is because internally, we're hoping to affect our external circumstance. And internally, you can't see that the acorn has begun to sprout a stem. And internally, below the concrete, you can't really see that it's starting to shoot up toward the sunlight. And then, all of a sudden, we get to see it bear its fruit by a big crack in a hard circumstance in our lives. By splitting through the wall that we did not think we could knock down. This growth of the Spirit happens when we nurture it, and it's beyond our control. It's not instant. I can't come through and and grab a handful of acorns and just throw them at the street and watch a bunch of trees pop up. But over time, through submission to the Spirit, through recognition of God's work in our life, through recognition of the freedom that Jesus has for us every single day, we get to nurture that growth that then blossoms into a beautiful tree that's bearing fruit. 
with the Holy Spirit's power that we possess when we become Christians. Growth is available to us. A lot of us, we see a Christian that we admire and we think, I want to be like that. So where is the microwave for maturity to where I could just hop in, push the popcorn button, and all of a sudden I hop out and I'm loving, I'm joyful, I'm peaceful, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm good, I'm gentle, I'm faithful, I practice self-control. How can I speed that process up? And I think when we try to take the wheel, we jump back into the works, the things that we do or the things that we do. Instead of saying, how can I nurture the Spirit's growth? And the Spirit has growth available to us. I told you earlier, I studied English in college. I don't have an English degree. I have something better. It's called a general studies degree. <laughs> kind of means I know generally everything. <laughs> or I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. But I know about the English language enough to know subject-verb agreement. Your subject should agree with your verb. The tense, the, the plurality or singularness of your, your subject should align with your verb or with the predicate that describes it. Did anybody just fall asleep in that 10 seconds? Because, yeah, I'm getting pretty bored with that too. But I'm going to keep going because the subject here in this sentence is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, the singular, is... Singular, leading into this predicate that should be one word, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We have some disagreement between the subject and the verb. English teachers are getting mad. Thinking, Paul, what are you doing? But Paul is being very intentional with his predicate usage. You still awake? <laughs> because what he's doing is, is beautiful and it's helping us this growth. I have a picture that puts it into context for us. This is a fruit, a singular fruit, one fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit is one thing. And that one thing is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you're thinking, I don't have that one thing. I, I maybe, like I love some things, and I'm patient in some areas, Overall, I'm pretty good. But the fruit, the one fruit of our spirit is those things. That sentence made me cringe. It should are those things. The fruit of the spirit, singular, is a plural verb, a plural predicate describing how we need to live. Because the fruit of the spirit all goes together. Every single one of them. Because peace always goes with joy. Can you have peace if you don't experience joy? Can you have real peace if you're not joyful? Can you be loving if you're not kind? The Bible says speak the truth in love, and some of us use that as a crutch to be mean to people. Say, well, I love you a whole lot, so you got to cut it out. <laughs> but there should be kindness present in that, because that is part of the very fruit of the very Spirit living inside of us. It's not one or the other, or a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's all of these things, because they depend on each other. My peace depends on my patience. If I'm not very patient, then I can't really dwell in the peace available to me. This peace that passes all understanding is not going to be revealed as I reveal my own impatience. And then we're back to me, my, I, my works. So the fruit of the Spirit goes together. They all depend on each other and they're implied within each other. Because all these things, as Paul says back in verse 14, they can be summed up in one word, love. 
And love requires joy and peace and patience. If you were to say, how can I be a better Christian? I'd say, you can't. But because of the spirit inside of you, God will work to do wonderful things because of who he is. Not because of who you are. Because if it were up to you, you'd say, yes, I love that person. And I'm so joyful about the way that I love them. And I get great peace in my life about the current circumstance I'm in. And then I'm surrounded by a class of kindergartners or a clogged highway or a long line at my coffee shop or fast food lunch stop when I'm late already. And then all of a sudden, I'm not feeling peace anymore. And my patience was gone long ago. I'm not really joyful because it's taking forever to get my triple grande white extra hot caramel whatever. I'm not going to be kind when this person says, Josh, your order's ready. I'm going to say thanks. But not like a thanks, more like a thanks as I rip it out of their hand. And so we go from, from this peace. Peace is where we were centered. Yes, spirit, move. Use me in this line at this coffee shop. Our peace turns into passive aggressive. Thanks for my coffee, Mr. Slow. And then I up the passive, and I jump into aggressive. Where the heck's my coffee? I, I ordered it 10 minutes ago. Have you not made an extra grande venti, triple white, extra hot soy foam latte before? I don't know if any of that made sense. <laughs> but this is the, the works of our flesh when we rely on our peace. Peace is my, my sweet daughter. She's three and a half, looking at me saying, can I please have a lollipop? No, we're not going to have sweets today, sweetheart. And then she drops the piece and moves into passive aggressive. Can I please have a lollipop, please? Please? No, we're not going to have sweets today. I want a lollipop. <laughs> Fine, here's a lollipop. But that comes from my patience being at one place and then something outside of me influencing the fruit of my spirit and me taking control of my situation to do what I can, which is to not practice patience at all. I can choose to be short with her. I can choose to yell at her. I can choose to uh, move her away from my physical presence or I can give in. Whereas I could present a loving picture of a loving father who practices patience, even though my patience ran out a while ago, I don't have my patience anymore. I have the patience of the Spirit in my life. And so we follow this path all the time. Yes, I, I love the Red Raiders. They're great. Unless they're playing against Michigan in the College World Series. <laughs> And they're not that great. And now I'm mad at them. And all of a sudden my love has turned into fits of anger and enmity and strife and divisions. I love this person that, that sits in the cubicle next to me. We get along great. But they just got promoted and I did not. They just got a raise and I didn't. The boss just came by and said good job to them and pretended like I didn't exist. I have negative feelings towards this person sitting next to me at work. I'm so excited. We just got married. 
We just got home from our honeymoon. Seven-year itch. It's this process that we bring ourselves through where we feel like, man, I'm a Christian. I'm on fire for Jesus. He changed my life. What do you mean my bill's late and my rent is due? I don't get paid for another two weeks. God doesn't love me. There is no God. If there was a God, I'd have that $1,500. But instead, I'm just going to sit here in my car payment, $700 a month, and be mad about it. And this cycle repeats itself in every aspect of our life. When the works of our flesh within our control exceed our ability, we need to come back to who God is calling us to be. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. Also, you can't do these things on your own. The spirit inside of you is the reason those things happen. And all those things depend on each other. They're intertwined with each other. And they go together. And we need to lean into the spirit to truly believe that. We need to nurture an environment where the spirit can really excel and grow in our lives. To believe that. And Paul closes out by saying in verse 24... Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So if we belong to Christ Jesus, we get to crucify the desires of our flesh. Because he died for them and with them. And he's raised us a new life. That's really quite awesome if you think about it. Because there's hope and a future. Because there's freedom and redemption that we didn't have on our own. So if you claim to be a Christian, if you've given yourself to Christ Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you would continue to live in the Spirit. It's not just one thing you jump into, like, oh, I'm a pumpkin seed now. And then you go live the way you were living. It's a complete shift in your life that wrecks everything and allows you to crucify the desires of your flesh. And the terrible news is that we're going to stumble and fall short. And then are we going to run back to the desires of our flesh to, to heal that wound, to nurture ourselves toward growth? Or are we going to live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and continue to keep in step with the Spirit? That means walking with, keeping up with, allowing Him to lead us instead of us to make all the decisions. So if we live by the Spirit, we're going to walk by the Spirit. And if we walk by the Spirit, we're going to begin to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And if we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we grow. You could tell a tree is growing because it starts to bear fruit. Not just because it becomes more of itself, but because it's bearing fruit to become less of itself, to give away. And that's the natural Christian response. And that's what's available to all of us. And if we grow then we continue this cycle of crucifying our flesh and our desires and the works of our flesh to make more room for the Spirit to reveal its singular fruit. And its singular fruit is exemplified when I allow the Spirit to use me to be loving, peaceful, joyful, patient, kind, good, gentle, faithful, and practice self-control. 
all traits that are a rare commodity in this culture that are exemplified when we lean in to the Holy Spirit who has empowered us, who has equipped us, who has led us, filled us, gifted us. And when you peel us back, you should see the fruit of that Spirit in everything that we're doing. And when we fall short, we lean back in. Say, God, I can't. The things I do are only things I do. I need more of you. So would you do the things you do and bear your fruit in me? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for choosing us. For those of us who have been in here a while and for those of us who just walked in the door, you chose us to receive your word today. You chose us to be equipped by your love today. And I ask that you would call us in big ways to live that out. For those of us who are far from you, And for those of us who are near to you, we ask that we get to see more of you. And would you use this group of people, would you use this group of Christians in this room to show people what it looks like to follow you and to crucify the desires of our flesh through relying on your spirit to allow us to love others. And for those of us in this room that don't know you, God, I ask that we would get to see you in a big way. It would make it even just a little bit easier to know you, to serve you, and to celebrate you. We love you so much. And we thank you for changing our lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 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 Y'all have a wonderful weekend.